Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. Great passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning. Finish up our chapter 5 here. Really a transitional passage we're going to look at. It's going to, it's going to put the final nail in the coffin of whether you can lose your salvation. It really is so clear, the salvation that we have and who's responsible for it, the reason why we have it. And uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, I just want to thank you folks for your continual prayer for the building project. just wanted to give a little update there that uh, uh, we've had a lot of building been done. We're getting close to being finished, all the framing of the whole uh, place. I think maybe a couple more days and we'll be done that. And um, got the plumber coming in this week. All the plumbing will be done. I talked to the HVAC company yesterday. He actually came down and looked at it. And, uh, oh, uh, good news is that our RTU units are available right now. Amen. So there's no more weight on that. Uh, it's uh, right in our possession. So, so I gave him a check, and it says, go buy it. <laughs> Let's get this moving. And uh, so we're going to get moving on that. And so just wonderful looking at that. I'm just kind of standing in this framed-out room just uh, excited to think about people just, you know, filling up that place and uh, preaching the Word of God, singing together. So just pray that as we go on here, we get the best deals and all the little things that we got to do. And, uh, and I'm sure, uh, you know, it looks like we'll be, uh, be a little under budget. I hope so. Uh, but there's probably things I'm not thinking of because I'm not so smart. Amen. But uh, pray for that as well. <laughs> Amen. But I'm very excited about what, what's happening there. And so if you want to ever come and see it, uh, let me know. Maybe we'll have a men's breakfast one weekend. We'll go down there and pray together. Uh, that's a good idea. should have had that for next weekend. I'll let you know, <laughs> all right? And maybe have a prayer breakfast, and we'll go down and take a look at the building and show you kind of how things are going along. Amen? Amen. And the ladies saying, what about us? Yeah. Men and ladies breakfast, okay? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I keep getting myself in trouble. Just like when I introduced my daughters, here are my two daughters, they're my only daughters, and I thought I felt bad, Jenna and Charity, they're my daughters too. And so, ultimately at the end of this all, I'll probably have more daughters than sons. That'll be strange. <laughs> but anyways, no, it'll probably be about equal. <laughs> eight and eight. Anyways, Romans chapter five, verse number two, that's what I say when you start talking, you just get yourself in trouble. Verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification." 
For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this message. I pray, dear God, you would give me the power I need to preach it. Pray the Lord, your Holy Spirit, would give understanding in each one of our hearts. And Lord, I pray if someone here is struggling with their salvation, that today that would be settled. But Lord, we just want to just brag on you a little bit, what you've done for us, and how that you are just much more, much more than we could ever have been. And you've given us so much. We're so grateful. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This message I've called Christ, the one who is much more, the one who is much more. In this passage, you're going to see some words used. You see the word one, and you heard me say the word one over and over. It's used 11 times in this passage. This passage is speaking of our identification with Adam and with Jesus Christ. So it's a contrast. Uh, It's a contrast between the the one that brought sin into the world and the one that brings sin out of the world. The word reign is used five times. So there is a reign of Adam and there's a reign of Christ. The reign of Adam ends because of sin. The reign of Christ does not end because of righteousness. The phrase much more is repeated five times. This is the emphasize that in Jesus we have gained much more than in Adam. So with Christ, you have much more. Christ is much more. If you have Jesus, you've got much more than the majority of the people on this planet. Much more. And it's not based upon how good you are. It's just based on how good he is. We are looking at the possibility of how Jesus Christ was able to become our substitute in the payment for our sin. How does that work anyways, you know? It's really very legal. It's it's a legal thing that took place. Because we know that we have a holy God, that there's a holy responsibility. We know that there's a holy God, that means there has to be justice. But we don't just have a holy God, we've got a loving God. Because of A loving God, we have mercy. And because of that mercy, we have a hand extending towards us and which did not violate his justice, nor did it somehow compromise his holiness, but he was able to maintain his holiness and be completely just at the same time as reaching out to you as a convicted sinner and bringing you back to him. How is that possible? I know my idea wouldn't be like that. I wouldn't be able to come up with this idea. But God is because he's all-knowing. 
But I've had one person explain to me their religion, and, they, and this person, as I talk to them, they are cursing every other word. Uh, as I got to know them, they began to talk about how much they drank whiskey, and they did this, that, or the other. And they were just saying, you know, the great thing about my religion is, at the end of my life, I can ask for forgiveness. And he'll forgive me. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my. I understand you can't get saved without forgiveness, but I'm going to tell you something. That type of religion that does not have an atonement, that does not have blood shed, that does not have a death, will leave you in hell. I don't care how good they make that God seem. And that's what it was. It's a different God. And that God was just going to say, you know what? I understand you're a sinner, but whatever. We'll just let you in. I forgive you. (laughs) See, that's not our God. See, our God had to maintain his holiness and he had to maintain his justice. Otherwise, he would have ceased to be God. And so he did that by sending his son. He did that by, by providing an atonement and providing a substitute for each one of us in that payment. The payment had to be made, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to talk about two points today. The first one is the entrance of sin into the world. We see that here laid out so clearly. In verse number 12 it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin's presence through Adam. Adam brought sin's presence into the world. And that's what we see in this passage. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered. Sin entered through Adam. And so the presence of sin is here because of Adam in the garden. That's where it began. Oh, by the way, it wasn't here before that. <laughs> Those of you with the gap theory. <laughs> like one preacher said, the only gap I know of is between my two ears. <laughs> it was by Adam that sin became present in the world. The one man brought the reign of sin. Now, this is interesting. You know, when you think about the one <laughs> Adam, now that may, in you, kind of stir up some feelings of like, oh, well, then why am I paying the price? (laughs) If it was Adam, then why am I paying the price? Then I just look at you and say, okay, stop sinning. Do right. Well, (laughs) well, the thing is, we need to understand that Adam is representative of you and your choices. You can get up in the morning, you can say, I'm not going to do that wrong thing I was going to do. Adam didn't do something nearly as bad as what we do every day. But yet, Adam is that federal head. He's the one that was chosen by God to be the one that brought sin into the world. And I'm not saying he chose Adam to do it, but he he chose to place the responsibility of all the sin upon the one. And that you may say, well, that's not fair. Well, we'll see about that. And so, death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, death is something that we need to understand, uh, was told in Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, 
thou shalt surely die. So where the presence of sin is, there is death. That's what God is saying here. He's saying the moment you choose to disobey, there's death. So if there's death, there's sin. Look at the world today. Look at the death. There's death because of sin. Now, people don't want to respond to that. They don't want to accept that. They don't want to accept the fact that, well, just because there's death, there's got to be sin. Well, that, that is your reminder. That is your bleak and stark reminder every day that when someone dies, that's because of sin that went right back to the garden. Now, man is just trying to make it a part of just the process of evolution. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a result of sin. But God is so good to us. He surrounds us with that reminder of death, but he also surrounds us with the reminder of life. We see that every spring when the buds come back to that dead tree <laughs> that has been in hibernation, and there we have life also, we see flowers coming back. Every year he reminds us, sure, there's death, and we can see the, the leaves falling. Isn't that beautiful until you see the tree with no leaves? The tree is dead no longer producing. And so we look at that for a few months and we say, wow, I can hardly wait for summer. And what we're really saying is I want to see life again. <laughs> I want to look out onto my yard and instead of seeing a blanket of white, I want to see some green popping up through there because green is that life sign. <laughs> and every year God gives that to us as a reminder. There's death, but there's also life. Yeah. Yet people just, they just want to neglect that and say, no, it's just a process of evolution because a little period went so fast and so hot it just blew up and everything kind of flew into space and all the planets went into perfect orbit and had a perfect distance and, and all of a sudden you just climbed out of a slough and... <laughs> also you had a leg come out and you started going like this. What a lie. What a filthy lie. All they want to do is keep you from faith in the word of God. Faith in God. They're scared of revelational authority. They don't want any authority they cannot see and that controls the narrative. I'm in control of my own life. That's what man wants. Because we're rebels at heart. Death is a reminder of that sin. Adam was excluded from God's presence when he sinned. In fact, that day his body didn't just fall over and die when he ate that fruit. He was still breathing. <laughs> well, then what do you mean, death? <laughs> well, his physical life began to die that day. So at that point, the clock began ticking. But not only that, we noticed that when God came back to the garden, Adam wasn't there waiting joyfully. He wasn't in arms. Oh, <laughs> I've been waiting for you, Father. He was hiding in the bush. He was ashamed, fearful. Sin had come. Sin. The devil lies about that death being the effect of sin. And first thing he did in Genesis 3, 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. The wages of sin is death, my friend. You're going to start taking that wicked bottle to your lips, start drinking that whiskey every day, can I tell you something? It will kill you. You will die. And you'll die sooner than you should. 
That's why many times in the Old Testament you'd have the, the saint talked about as they died in fullness of days or fullness of years. <laughs> that means they had every year that God gave them, they lived it out. But many times people don't fill those years. It's because of sin. Now you can, God could choose you to live 10 years and that could be fullness of years for you. What makes it fullness of years is it's whether God chose it for you. But if it's not fullness of years, it's because you started making some choices. You know, it really dawned on me, I remember I was smoking cigarettes and one of the things that really hit me was it's not a matter of if I die from this. It's a matter of when. If you're drinking alcohol and you're making that a part of your life, it's not a matter of if it's going to take life from you. It's just a matter of when. I had a family member that drank their whole life, him and his wife, and they would drink and drink and drink and drink. <laughs> when the, he got sick, and his liver, I think it was liver disease, and he died, his wife died three months after him from drinking. You know, I'm not here just to preach against alcohol, but I'm saying is these things that you think are so safe because you're so <laughs> uh, indestructible, you know, young people think they are. I'm just, oh, this is going on forever. But, you know, that does take its toll. Yeah. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're planting seeds in the ground. The harvest will come up. May not be today, but it'll probably be tomorrow sometime. But death is the effect of sin. All men die because all men have sinned. You know, there's not a person here that will not die because there's not a person here that has not sinned. The only one that hasn't is Jesus. And he's the only one that gave his life. He didn't die because of his sin. He died because of your sin. Sin's effect is persistent. There's an interesting verse here in verse 13. It says, for unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now, that doesn't mean that, oh, you're innocent and you, you, you won't pay the price for this. Because it goes on to say, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So what it's saying here is that when the law came, it became clear to you what sin really was. And before that, you didn't know. You didn't really have an understanding of the depth of sin. But the law came along and began to reveal to you the heart of what's behind all these things that you're doing. The adultery, the murder, the stealing. And God revealed these things as sin. And so what he did is when he brought the law, the law charged you. You had a charge laid upon you. But it didn't, it didn't mean that those from Adam to Moses somehow weren't going to die for their sin because the Bible says, nevertheless, death reigned. The kingdom of death was there and it started and it continues on. And it doesn't matter how much you say I'm innocent or I didn't know, death will still have its day. 
It didn't just occur when men understood the specifics of sin by the law. Amen? It occurred immediately. The law simply created the charges. It's like bringing it to the courtroom and they had to sit down and say, okay, we're trying to, you ever get that when you, they, they uh, arrest the suspect and you're saying, oh, what are they charged with? You got to wait for them to figure out what they have done that is wrong. And so all the law did was create the charges for the sins that were already committed. Yeah. Amen? <laughs> and so now you know. <laughs> you know why you're guilty. That's why many times we, we talk to people when we try to tell them that they are a sinner and they, oh, I'm not so bad. And yet you tell them, have you ever lusted in your heart? Well, Jesus told us that if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And the Bible talks about adultery in the law and, and those that committed adultery would die. Yep. Well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> you know? No, you're probably not. Even all of us here sitting today probably don't understand the depth of how bad we really are. But if you were to study it and give your life to understanding it, you would start seeing some more charges laid out. And you'd finally get to the conclusion that there's really nothing I can do here to release myself from these charges. I'm guilty. And so sin came by one man. And you'd say, well, why, why upon one? Why doesn't he just keep us all individually responsible in the scripture and say, we're all just sinners and let's not name Adam. Let's not make him the one. Well, I'll tell you why he did this. It's not because he's somehow getting back at Adam. <laughs> it's not because he's trying to let you off in your sin. But this is what he's thinking. He says, if I will bring the charge of sin against the one, then I can send another one to bring the righteousness. So it's not about you being worse or better. It's not about Adam somehow, oh, he's more guilty than me. It's not fair. <laughs> the reason why Adam has made the one is so that he can also send another one and place all of our salvation upon the one. In the same way that he placed all of our condemnation upon the one, you see. So it's about salvation. It's about God's mercy and his love. The entrance, point number two, of salvation into the world. The entrance of salvation. Notice these contrasts you see in these verses in verse 5, verse 15, but it says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense one, uh, of one, many be dead, much more, remember, much more, we're having more now than we would have had in Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. So the offense... And the gift of grace. <laughs> the offense came by one man. The gift of grace came by one man. Through the offense of one, many be dead. All of us. But the gift of grace by one man hath abounded to many. Much more. 
much more. Abounded means to be in excess, to exceed in number and measure. (laughs) That which you couldn't comprehend, you could have had. Now through the one that came, the Lord Jesus Christ, you can now in excess receive something that that was impossible for you to have before. And that's life, grace, salvation. The next point here in verse 16, it says, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. He's saying, don't try to equate the the sin with the gift. (laughs) It says, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So what happened with Adam in the garden, what did he really do? He simply just did something that God said not to do. When's the last time you did that? In other words, the condemnation came by the one offense. But the Lord Jesus says, well, much more. My gift brings many offenses unto justification of life. Wow. You count up the offenses in this room. We'd be writing a book, a very thick book, of our offenses. So he says, you know what, Adam, that one offense brought all kinds of death. Many be dead. But I'll tell you some, all of the compounded offenses that since that day that every man has done, Jesus, that one man came and took all of those offenses and brought you unto justification of life. Declared righteous. My next verse Verse 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. So you have this word reign, to rule. So no matter how we try to get away from it, that death was our king. Today, people that don't know Christ, they live to defeat that death. Somehow we're going to try to overcome this thing that is reigning over us. I'm sorry, you just can't. Our day comes. There are two reigning kingdoms. There's the kingdom of sin and death. There's the kingdom of righteousness and life. Two reigns. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as by the offense, one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. See, these religions that are teaching that you individually must somehow overcome the offenses, that you yourself must somehow uh, balance out the bad with the good, that's what that is. They say with every man you can't know because each individual must now stand before God and the the scale must be balanced and all the bad I've done is going to have to out, or by the good I've done is have to outweigh my bad. And that's an individual judgment. That's an individual thing, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the judgment of one. So your evidence, your offenses are simply just evidence that you are a part of that one But that's not how you're going to be saved. By balancing out your good and your bad, because folks, you need to understand, 
There is no good. Anybody that's waiting for that balance of, of good and bad at the, at the judgment throne of God, if he would have that scale, he could just leave it in one position for every man. Because he would say, that's the one. That is the one condemnation. Well, then how do I tip it the other way, preacher? How do I, how do I get the righteousness? How do I get the life? By the one! Not by you! Not by all of us! If death came by one, then life will come by one! And that one has come! He's died for you! He's taken your sin upon himself! Stop trying to bring some situation before God, like somehow, oh, I'll just wait to see what happens! You don't need to wait. It's not even a gamble. I can tell you what's going to happen. And this passage tells us it's got to be the one. If you're going to be saved, it's got to be through the one. And he is much more. It's not like, oh, Jesus, you just kind of got us over. He He says, come on. I have overcome sin. I've obliterated it. And not only have I obliterated it, but I'm giving you something that is far beyond you could ever imagine in your heart and mind. It's much more. Yet people are still waiting for the stupid scale. Where's the much more? Where's the one? Amen. Amen. Oh, folks. And then, folks, believing you can lose your salvation. My goodness, man, that's the same thing. Somehow God's going to weigh you out? You go back to your personal scale? You go to hell, man. It's got to be the one. Either you go on your own merit or you go by his merit. Either you go by your own righteousness and you take your chances with God, like I said, which isn't even a gamble. It's already laid out. You failed. Or you go by the righteousness of the one. Either you continue in that reign of death with Adam. Or you change kingdoms. And you get a new king. Amen. The king of life. Romans 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Somebody comes to me and they say, well, it's going to be based upon what I do. Sure, Jesus died for me. He, he, he died for my sin. But I got to keep, I got to maintain. So your, your obedience is going to get you there. Well, this verse blows out right out of the water. Because as long as you've got disobedience, you want to base yourself on your merits, you're still a part of Adam's reign. You understand that? And I understand there's a lot of movements out there that teach this doctrine. It, it's a perversion of the gospel. I don't look at it as some acceptable branch of, of the gospel preaching churches that somehow some can believe you can lose and some can't and oh, we'll just shake hands. And, folks, it's in a perversion of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
It's because you still think that somehow you have something to do with your salvation. When you talk about losing your salvation, you're not attacking yourself because you never deserved it, neither would you ever deserve it. You're attacking Christ. You're attacking His efficacy. You're attacking whether He is good enough. You're attacking whether His record is sufficient. Whether He died for you. Whether His blood was perfect. Whether He is righteous enough. It's not about you. You have never been on the playing field in that devil's game. He doesn't care about you. The reason why he's devising these doctrines is not to attack man. It's to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it brings Christ to open shame. And your thoughts of losing it bring him to open shame. Because somehow he didn't do it right the first time. The one. That's still the reign of Adam. See, folks, I don't regard churches that teach that message as legitimate. That may be a shock to you. When Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature, there was a command. Command given from our Lord. And the only way I have authority to work out that command is if I obey that command. And you know that as an employee on the job, you no longer have authority when you start calling your own shots. Local churches that are legitimate are taking seriously the commands of God. And if you can't start with the gospel, (laughs) that's where you have to start. Amen. By one man's disobedience. (laughs) Disobedience, in the strictest sense, it means a failing to hear or hearing amiss with a notion of active disobedience which follows this inattentive or careless hearing. So God did tell Adam in the garden, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now he heard it, but not in the strictest sense. That's why I always tell our kids, are you listening to me? (laughs) Now they just heard what you said. But that doesn't mean they actually heard what you said. (laughs) You guys know what I'm saying? If you're a parent, you know what I'm saying. So there's a lot of people that God is saying, do this and do that. And he said, oh, yeah, I hear you. But the next day they do opposite. The issue is a hearing issue. And I'll prove this to you. Christ heard the Father's commands and obeyed his Father right to the death. There was never a time he did not hear his father. I'll read this verse to you. It says, in John 5, 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father which hath sent me. See, this is the issue. You're trying to be religious and getting away with what you can get away with. But it's a whole different thing when you're living a life saying, I want to do the will of the Father. Then you hear. It's another thing if I'm just standing around and I'm, okay, I'm trying to be good. And someone comes along and says, well, you ought to do this, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, because your heart is not to do the will of the Father. 
Your heart is just enough just to do enough. See, Jesus, strict obedience is a complete consecration. So people that think they're going to heaven, well, I kept the commandments. <laughs> well, let's go through all these commandments and let's go through the 500 and some laws that, reflect, that break off of these commandments. And chances are we'll come across a couple that you're disobeying. <laughs> but not with Jesus. Everything he did was in strict adherence to the Father's will because he already had in his heart to do the Father's will. That's why he heard. You know, I don't know why children don't listen. Because they don't really care that much about what their parents want. (laughs) They just want to put on a front that they're somehow obeying. Because I did that. You told me that last week and I did it. But you're missing the motive. And that's where Jesus got it right. So, the disobedience of one, many was made sinners. So after that, people try to say, well, I've obeyed God. (laughs) Hold on. Let's compare you now to Jesus. Jesus, when he came, he showed you perfectly how he heard everything. Because his heart was completely to do the will of the Father. Is that you? And many of us, if not all of us, would say, you know what? (laughs) I probably really lack. See, that's why it has to be the one. Your obedience will not take you through. You failed, you will fail, and you'll fail again. And aren't you glad that one came that was completely obedient and went to the death of the cross for you so that his obedience would count for your obedience, imputed to you. Righteousness from heaven down to you. There's no way any man could ever merit heaven. Not when you start looking at what Jesus is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's the glory of God? Who's the brightness of his glory? For all have sinned and come short of Jesus Christ. That's why it has to be the one. (laughs) Isn't it prideful for some people to think, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, but I've got to maintain this. (laughs) Jesus looking at you, duh, duh. What is wrong with you? That somehow in in your disobedience, You think you're obedient. It's got to be a free gift. I can of my own self do nothing. I got just a couple more things I want to say here. I want to talk about the excess of grace. Much more. Romans 5.15. This will branch into our next chapter. When we start looking at the Christian life. And living that Christian life for Christ. This aspect of grace. Grace supplies the gift of salvation. We need to understand that. Grace is multifaceted. It's multiported. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't just meet one need. 
Grace meets all the need at the time that you need it if you qualify for that grace to work in your life. The Bible says if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he'll give grace unto the humble. So when you get to the place of salvation, you say, I want to be saved. You've got to be humble. If you can't be humble before God, you can't be saved. I don't, it's not about, about praying a prayer. It's not about going through a religious experience. It's about you finally seeing yourself before a holy God for who you truly are. Yeah. And it brings you down on your face. You say, God, I failed. I'm corrupt in my heart. I'm disobedient. I cannot get to heaven, God. I would go to hell and deserve it, Lord. Please save me. He says, oh, you've qualified. That's the only qualification. You've got to come to God on your face. I'm not saying physically on your face. I didn't get saved on my face. Actually, I might have known. But in here. You're still trying to justify yourself before God. You're trying to say that somehow I'm not so bad or I'm not so disobedient or I've been a pretty good Christian. <laughs> you have failed. You failed. Grace comes to those that hit the bottom. Starts at salvation. That's your first taste of grace. <laughs> But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be de dead, in verse 15, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. <laughs> so that grace comes through Jesus Christ, through one man. So if you reject that man, there's no grace. And it's a gift. What's a gift? Is your gift purchased? Do you have to buy your gifts? Well, my parents at Christmas time, they make me do this, that, and the other. If I don't do it, they don't give me my gift. Well, they're liars. Yeah. Now, it's fine if you have a Christmas present, you say you got to pay for this, the, the, what I'm giving to you, but you can't call it a gift. You can say, let's all get together Sunday or on Christmas morning for our, our payday. <laughs> That's why Santa Claus is such a heretic. Naughty and nice. Naughty and nice. If you're naughty, you don't get a good present. Well, if it was a real present, it wouldn't matter if you're naughty or nice. Yeah. A gift is a gift. It's free. And the only qualifier is if I've seen myself or what I am. Not that I've changed myself or can change myself. I just say, Lord, I'm just seeing myself for who I am. That's where the gift comes. Amen. So grace supplies the gift of salvation. Grace also abounds much more than sin. You ever marveled at how somebody that once was living in deep sin got saved, started going to church, started listening to the word of God, reading the Bible, and all of a sudden their life is transformed? You know why that is? Grace is greater than sin. Yeah. If you continue... In that humble heart before God as a Christian, the Bible says that His grace will continue to strengthen you and bring you above all your sin. Yeah. One sin at a time. Jesus is much more. Amen. Yeah. 
The law caused, caused the, the offense to abound, but the more sin abounded, grace did much more abound, the Bible says. So you say, well, sin abounds. We as Christians, I remember I had one person say, oh, my mother, she would never get saved. She's ornery. She's mean. <laughs> I said, well, I wouldn't say the never part. The first time she came to our service, and I gave a salvation invitation, she raised her hand. See, we look at these people. Oh, sin abounds. Sin abounds. There's so much. So much we can't overcome. But then the one comes. Then we realize how petty the abounding of sin is. How great the Lord comes into our life and gives grace for us to live and overcome is much more. See, we need to give God credit here. <laughs> His grace is much more. It abounds. It's more than our sin. You could understand all the intricacies of all your sins. Do you think you do? <clears throat> I know you don't. <clears throat> I know I don't for me. I could spend the rest of my life studying my sins and the intricacies of all those sins. And I could say, wow. And the more I would study, the more I'd become depressed. The more I would see, I'm so bad. And I'd go back the next day and start studying more and start looking at the law and start picking apart my heart and my, not only just heart, but my motives. Why I do what I do. Why did I just say that to that person? And I could sit there and just completely pick apart everything in my life and it becomes so great. And the Lord just says, here's my grace. See, a lot of people believe in self-condemnation. Now, the Bible says by one man came the condemnation. But by one man comes the justification. See, the Lord is not requiring you to understand the intricacies of your sins. He's not even trying to get you to spend your time trying to figure out how bad you really are. You just really got to come to the point and agree with him that you are underneath Christ, that you have sinned, and you've come short of his glory. He doesn't want you to focus on the sin. He wants you to focus on the solution. Amen. Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. Romans 5.21, last verse, says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What a capstone. <laughs> what a period at the end. Amen. What a great statement to say, in the same way that sin would have reigned until your death, not just physical death, but until the time where you were placed into the lake of fire, that second death, that's how far sin would have taken you. I'll tell you, the grace of God through his righteousness will take you through unto eternal life, which is much more, much more. How far has grace taken you? Devil likes to come along and try to tell you, oh, if I do this, that, then all that grace can be. Folks, 
once that grace has entered you, that grace of salvation, you are guaranteed eternal life through the one, the obedience of one. Whose obedience does your salvation rest upon? Christ. Does it rest upon yours? If you say that it does, this is all I got to say to you. You are deceived beyond what a person can imagine. Because somehow, in the depth of your disobedience, you're not seeing how bad you are. Your disobedience is so disobedient that you're convincing yourself you're obedient. <laughs> That's a pretty dark disobedience. See, this verse is given to us so that we will understand that if we're going to heaven, it's because one obeyed. Who's the one? Jesus Christ. He's the one that in his heart, Father, everything you want, I will do. I seek for it. I crave it. I hunger for it. And he would do nothing. He would stop unless he heard something from his father that said go. None of us are like that. <laughs> None of us. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to pop your bubble here. But you are not like that. Only Jesus is like that. And that's a type of obedience that can put that body on a cross and die for you. And that blood that comes out of his veins, the perfect blood of God, not tainted with sin, no sin at all. That's what is accepted before the Father when that blood is sprinkled upon that mercy seat. He says, I accept it. I accept it. You try to offer your blood he said, that's filthy. I hope we can walk away from this today. Or if you're not saved, you'll come to the one. If you're saved and you think somehow your salvation hinges on your obedience, I hope you'll get to the place where you understand how bad you are. Because that's really the issue. You've got yourself pumped up that somehow you're not as bad as you really are. That's why the one had to do it. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Do you trust his obedience? Have you received his free gift? Have you humbled yourself and received that salvation? It's not religious. It's not church. It's you and God. You and God. That needs to be established. And I'm convinced there are even people that call themselves Christians that are members of churches like this one that still are not saved. And I hope you get saved. That's my prayer.
That's the call of this passage. One man sinned. One man was righteous. Will you turn to him? Will you receive what he did for you on the cross? Will you make him your salvation? (laughs) Will you finally turn away from yourself and say, you know what? (laughs) I've been trusting somehow in myself. And just say, no, it's Christ. Takes humility. It's hard for us rebels. (laughs) But that's the way to do it.